0: Welcome to Independent Americans. Welcome to episode 224. I'm your host, Paul Rykoff. Believe it or not, May is almost over and Memorial Day weekend is upon us. That means June is coming and that means the NBA Finals is coming. But it's not yet June and not yet the Finals. In May, has had no shortage of heat, and it's definitely been a time to stay vigilant. Jamal,
1: a year ago, you were still rehabbing your way back from an ACL tear, and now here you are, headed to the finals. Just, what does that mean to you?
0: I'm just glad I put the work in uh, during the rehab, so I. Um, to reflect on that moment, um, not regret anything during the rehab. So, to come out here, be here with my guys, everybody supporting me through the way. So, to make it this far with everybody just means a lot.
1: But I know that the job is not done yet. For sure. What have you, Nicola, what have you guys all said to each other about what it's going to take to get you to where you ultimately want to be?
0: It's going to take us to be together. I think that's the main thing. Uh, we can do anything together. As soon as we start to separate, that's when we struggle. So, once we do that, through the ups and downs, We'll be fine. Thanks, Jamal. Thank you. That's Jamal Murray, superstar for the Denver Nuggets, who are now headed to the NBA Finals, likely to play against the Miami Heat. Now, that series isn't done yet, but with the Celtics down 3-1, to one, it definitely looks like it. But Jamal Murray has come back from a terrible ACL knee injury that happened over a year ago in a game, and he missed all of last season. And when he got hurt, he was down. But after Murray scored 37 points Saturday night in a game three win over the Lakers to take a commanding 3-0 lead in the series, Nuggets head coach Mike Malone talked about it. He said, I remember being on the bus with Murray after the injury. He had tears in his eyes. And that was the message. Hey, man, you got to come back from this. And you're not only going to come back, you're going to be better. And his first thought was, man, Are you going to trade me? I'm damaged goods. Are you guys going to trade me now? And Malone said, he hugged him and said, hell no. You're ours. We love you. We're going to help you get back, and you're going to be a better player for it. Murray has come back, and he's been dominant, confident, and inspiring. And he now has his Nuggets, who have never made the NBA Finals before, just four wins away from their first championship. Jamal Murray is only 26 years old, and Jamal Murray and the Young Nuggets have shown you can bounce off bottom and end up stronger at the broken places. After the darkest of times, you can still end up on top. And this Memorial Day weekend, as our country remains bitterly divided and still deeply wounded after COVID and the brutal last few years, and on the edge of a totally unnecessary default that could rattle our national economy, we can draw some inspiration from Jamal Murray. Don't go trading America just yet. America's going to need some tough rehab after these last few years, and maybe the next few years. But like the Nuggets and Jamal Murray, we can do anything together. But that together part is key. And there are very few times that this country feels together anymore. Maybe watching the NBA playoffs, or maybe this weekend for Memorial Day, or maybe at a graduation ceremony this month for someone you love. As roughly 4 million Americans graduate this school year from college, and millions graduate from high school, middle school, and nursery school. They're all moving up. And it's a time for America to reflect on how much we can do together if we're together, and to reflect on how the youth of this country is always the future, especially in politics. Yes, we're likely to have the two oldest candidates in American history squaring off next year, but that's likely the end of an era, and the future will undoubtedly be younger. It'll be hard to be any older, but remember, there was a time when young candidates were a thing, John F. Kennedy, Bill Clinton, Barack Obama. They were young. They were the future. The future was, is, and always will be the young people. And if you believe the future is young people, then you must also believe that the future is independent. Because 60% of young people are independent. They're rejecting the two-party duopoly. They're rejecting the status quo. And they're largely rejecting Trump and Biden. Yes, like many older people, many young people will bite the bullet and pick what they see as a lesser of two bad options. But they're also longing for, fighting for, and organizing for a future that belongs to them, a future led by them, a future that won't be dominated by old white men in their 80s, and a future that won't be dominated by Democrats and Republicans. The future is young people, and young people are independent. And our guest coming up is an expert in young people. He may not be one of them himself anymore, but for over two decades, he was the voice of young people in politics. And he powerfully channeled the stories, questions, issues, and hearts of young people for a generation. Memorial Day is a time to remember the fallen. But it's also a time to celebrate how they lived and to draw inspiration from the tragedy of their death to forge a better world for the living and especially for the children. So this Memorial Day weekend, as we reflect on every generation of American service member that's fallen, we can also reflect and mourn how our country has fallen, how our media has fallen, most of which won't be missed but one place in particular that will. MTV News. MTV News was officially declared dead this month at the young age of only 36 years old. MTV News lived hard and fast and made a huge impact on America and the world. And as we reflect on its passing, it's critical that we learn the lessons of its life and that we capture the spirit of its existence and ensure that its legacy lives on in our media, in our country, and in all of us. Because all things eventually take falls. Basketball players, media companies, great nations. But the truly great ones unite in the struggle, bounce off bottom, and go on to soar even higher than they did before. That's the challenge before us this Memorial Day. And that's the opportunity for young people. With our planet on fire, our country burning hot, and our future in the crosshairs, young people, more than anyone, understand that stakes is high. Buy. Yeah. Buy stakes is high. high you high. know them stakes is high, high, you high. talking about Buy. coming up we'll jump into the stakes the past the pain and the future with one of the single smartest dudes i know but first as our weather our planet the nba playoffs and our politics all heat up in summer approaches there are a few quick issues that need your attention and need to be on your radar As our guest coming up will explain, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis is a relatively young politician at 44 years old who is supported most intensely by older people. He's big with the over 60 crowd, especially the over 60 white Fox News loving crowd, which in one way is good for him because as he finally announced his candidacy for president this week and prepares to get dismantled and disrespected daily by Donald Trump. He did it on Twitter with Elon Musk, where Twitter basically crashed, and his announcement ended up sounding like this.
1: All right, great. Looks like uh, we're ready to go here. Um, what's All right, I'd like to welcome uh, Governor DeSantis uh, for this uh, historic we're just trying, just trying to
0: get it going because it's, there's so many people.
1: That's unfortunate, have never seen this before. Governor DeSantis, up with this, so I start. We're just trying, just trying to get it going because
0: it's, there's so many people. They're just trying to get it going. That's an edited version of what that mess sounded like. There were huge periods of silence, one that was over eight minutes long, And I'm not a rocket scientist like Elon Musk hires at SpaceX, but there's a technical military term for what that Twitter Spaces DeSantis launch became. A clusterfuck. The DeSantis clusterfuck is what it is and was and will be forever. And DeSantis is running claiming he'll be a more competent version of Trump. Well, Trump may have destroyed many parts of our government, but when he was selling MAGA hats or NFTs, At least his website didn't crash. DeSantis declaring is the best thing to happen to Trump since the Mueller indictment, or maybe the Hollywood writer's strike, or maybe Colin Kaepernick kneeling. DeSantis is going to be a daily lob of a softball that Trump is just going to crush with a smile bigger and more often than Aaron Judge. They say how it starts is how it ends. And it's my prediction that, that will be the case for the DeSantis presidential campaign, at least this time, because he'll probably run again. But we'll see, because thankfully, the younger, next generation of American political leaders will not only be less incompetent, I think they'll probably be less annoying and much more likable, and definitely more bipartisan, which is what we'll need to truly leave behind this dark and dank time in American political history. Because while the older generation of politicians continues to screw up our country, in other countries, it's the younger generation that's leading, especially in Ukraine. In Ukraine, there's some good news for young and old the United States of America is finally sending F-16s to Ukraine. Hooray! About damn time. Think about how much they could have done and how many lives they could have saved if this wasn't dragged on for months and months and months. Biden and Washington have the same pattern of saying no, 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 until finally saying yes. Ukraine shouldn't have to keep playing this stupid game with America and Biden. And next up, In this never ending and unnecessary game of Mother May I for Ukraine? Attackums. Don't know what Attackums are? They are MGM 140 Army Tactical Missile Systems. They're a surface to surface missile manufactured by Lockheed Martin in the US. This is what Ukraine wants now. And it's what Ukraine should have gotten long ago, along with a lot of other things. It's the latest in a long and escalating list of weapons Ukraine needs from the US. Let's start in the beginning. Remember when it started with sanctions, and then it started with stingers and javelins. Then it was MLRS systems, multiple launch rocket systems. Then it was Abrams tanks. Then it was lots and lots of ammo. Then it was Patriot missiles. Then it was F-16s. Now it's attackums. Maybe our younger generation of political leaders will understand that Ukraine's entire generation of young people is fighting and dying. We're back here watching TikTok, fighting radicals who want to ban books and arguing about fake culture wars, and their greatest generation of young people is fighting and dying in the mud in Bakhmut. That's something for us all to think about this Memorial Day. Because there's also some of ours dying. A retired United States Special Forces member was killed by Russian mercenaries in Ukraine recently, and his name was Nicholas Meimer. He was the seventh American veteran that we know of, who's died in Ukraine, and he was a hero. Please take some time to learn more about his life and the other Americans who've died, especially this Memorial Day weekend. And while a number of mostly young, brave Americans have joined the fight in Ukraine, there are plenty of younger people here in America doing especially dumb shit that has our enemies celebrating, like this guy.
1: Cell phone video taken Wednesday shows a school bus dropping off Severn Elementary School students while a man with an AR-15 semi-automatic rifle in his hands looks on from across the street. Jamie Sparrow, the parent who recorded this video, says he's seen the man there for three weeks.
0: I feel like if we don't do something about it now, then we'll be talking again, and it'll be too late at that point, you know? What do you mean by too late? I think that uh, lives could be lost, people could be harmed.
1: Sparrow says besides the fear it's caused, sometimes the bus won't bring kids home because they've heard he's out there. The man with the gun is Jaden McAdory, and he says what he's doing is not about scaring parents or children. It's about protesting the recent gun control measures Governor Westmore signed into law.
0: I really wasn't coming out here for the kids. I was coming out here to show people that this is legal.
1: For parents who might ask, just because you can do this, does that mean that you should do this?
0: No, it does not mean that. But I think that if I do this enough, that it will create enough deterrence from crime in there. Welcome to America 2023, a powder keg teeming with dangerous and entitled idiots throwing matches hourly, and our enemies are celebrating for sure. that man says he's protesting the policy of Governor Wes Moore, who's been a guest on this show a number of times and you know is my friend. But Governor Wes Moore has carried a rifle in combat in Afghanistan. He knows how and when to use it responsibly. This jackass does not. This jackass is named Jaden Macturi, and he is indeed a jackass. He's not helping, and he, like far too many young and old people in this country is an asshole. I drive really slow in the ultra fast lane while people behind me are going insane. I'm an asshole. so yori so I'm an asshole. We're not so I use public toilets. Now there's no shortage of assholes out there, young and old. And they're definitely more of the older variety in our politics, but all across America. There are dumb people doing dumb shit. And there's crazy stuff happening. Some that is easy to understand. Some that's more complex. And in this time of stupidity and complexity, where stakes continue to rise, our media continues to fail and crumble. The brands we can trust, the leaders we can look to, are few and far in between. But 20 years ago, and in the years before, there were some voices that helped break it all down with style, with smarts, and with a deep understanding of the culture from the candidacy of Bill Clinton to nine 11, from the death of Kurt Cobain to the death of Tupac and Biggie through Rodney King and OJ and through the challenger disaster and the first Gulf war MTV news was there to help us at least try to understand it. And Leading the way for decades of MTV News' most political, most probing, and most important stuff was the professor of MTV News, a young man who started anchoring on TV to tens of millions all around the world at the age of only 21. He'd go on to cover elections, Hurricane Katrina in New Orleans, the earthquake in Pakistan and India, and the wars in Afghanistan and Iraq. He'd earn a Peabody, an Emmy, and the respect of a generation. He was a conscience for a generation of young Americans who cared about politics and many who didn't. And over the last few years, he's kept a deep connection to many of the issues he's covered and to the people, including me. And I'm honored to have called him a friend for the last 20 years. He's now a writer and a producer in Hollywood, who's written for Newsroom with Aaron Sorkin, Narcos, Mosquito Coast, and over the last few years has also worked tenaciously to help get our Afghan allies out of Afghanistan as a part of the digital Dunkirk of veterans, journalists, and allies who've tried to save all those our government turned its back on. He's a friend that I miss often, and a voice in the media that I miss even more. He's a truly important, inspiring, and iconic American that shaped what America was, what it is, and what it will be. He's my friend, Gideon Diego. MTV News is gone, and so is Vice and BuzzFeed and many others, but there was only one MTV News, and while it may be officially dead, its spirit lives on forever, and it adapts and evolves in the work of many of the VJs, ranging from Sway to Chin Pak to Allison Stewart. MTV News has always been about the future. And in this moment of deep hardship for America, it's critical that we reflect on our past to chart out a better future. The revolution will not be televised, because now TV's dead. But it will be broadcast, because the broadcasts of truth never die. They adapt, improvise, and overcome. And whether it's Twitter, TikTok, podcasts, robot carrier pigeons, or something we can't even imagine yet, the truth will be broadcast, and the truth will find people who seek it. And the independent media, and especially the independent truth-tellers, will be essential, as will be the voice and the mind of Gideon Yego, and the younger generation he informed and inspired, and the younger generations that will follow. Welcome to A Look Back... At our media our politics and our culture welcome to a discussion about the younger generation that ain't so young anymore and welcome to a conversation about the power of the young ones yet to come welcome to the next iteration of the MTV generation MTV news is dead long live MTV news welcome to independent Americans Episode 224. Easy, money. chicks. the Ladies and gentlemen, independent Americans around the country and around the world, I am really excited about this guest. This is a person that has been a friend for a long time. Before he was a friend, he was someone I admired and respected. And I don't know how in the hell he hasn't been on the show before. He's one of the smartest people I know. He's one of the most dedicated people I know, and one of the most interesting people I know, and someone who can help us through this very wild and weird time in America. Finally, the great and powerful Gideon Yego is here on Independent Americans. Welcome, my friend. Hi, buddy. It's nice to see you, Paul. Hi, buddy. What took so long? Why the fuck haven't you been on before? I uh,
1: I don't know. I mean, I don't produce this show. So that's like an internal question you're going to need to like dig deep and ask yourself. But uh, I'm here for you now, uh, as I have been for here for you for so long. So uh, it's nice to uh, make it officially official.
0: Uh, well, if you were producing this show, it would probably get a Peabody and an Emmy and a couple presidents on it like you did in the past. We'll get we'll get into that. Uh, I want to talk about MTV. I want to talk about the state of um, the media. I want to talk about the writer's strike. I want to talk about politics. Um, But I was trying to think, like, as a starting point, where did we meet? Do you have any idea when we
1: first met? I know exactly where we met. I can tell you exactly where we met. We met inside the uh, Democratic National Convention in Boston in 2004, uh, where you were working on something called Operation Truth at that time, before it was the Iraq and Afghanistan Veterans of America. And I was doing live hits. Uh, It was probably the second or third story of whatever the arena was in Boston. I was doing some live hits and you came over and you had seen the stuff that we had done earlier in the spring and then the winter and then the spring prior with the evasion of Iraq. You came over and you gave me your card and you said, nice work and if you ever, you know, this is my work and blah, 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 blah and uh and yeah and then i think we've been buddies ever since so what is that 20 years 20 19 years now
0: yes we met in our 20s and now we're in our 40s uh happy 20th anniversary of the iraq war to you my friend because i oh, feel like yeah. we we bonded over our love for the, the Iraq war, almost like our, maybe our obsession with the fact that everyone else didn't care about it as much as we did, maybe was a starting was it. point,
1: right? And that was that was entirely it, where like, yeah, you had just come home, and you were like, why is this not more in the forefront of the national conversation? And I was like, I agree. And <laughs> then we got
0: to work. And here we are 20 years later. So yeah. a, a lot to get into on that. But let me ask you the question I ask everyone, my dear friend, Gideon Diego. Where are you and how are you? Uh, I am in Griffith Park in Los Angeles.
1: Uh, I'm doing pretty good. I am uh, I'm a dad to two small children. So uh, I have uh, had to get two humans from like zero to like wiping their own butts in a pandemic. Um, so that was, that was a task. Uh, I'm on strike. My union is on strike. Uh, so i am uh, out there on the picket lines uh fighting to protect skilled labor in america's bullshit entertainment business and um what else i don't know man i'm i'm okay you know fighting a little midsectional girth freaking you out last time i was in new york i was uh i was in a suit that scared you um you had never seen me in a suit before and uh and that was weird uh but
0: otherwise you know shit's good can i say shit shit's good yeah, you can say whatever the fuck All you right. want. I mean, you probably could have always said shit, Gideon. I mean, you're, you're, you've are you always been carving your own path. But when we did, we hadn't seen each other, at least since the pandemic. And I saw you in New York. And it was such a perfect meeting because we met up in a playground in Union Square. Right. It didn't used to be a playground. It used to be a bar. That's right. And back when we both lived in the East Village, we used to hang out a lot. And, and uh, it was Friday
1: afternoon at Union Square, which, by the way, yeah. like peak Union Square. <laughs>
0: Peak peak Union Square, peak weather, but also like, you know, we met at the Democratic Convention. We've both been to Iraq. There are a few things that are more dynamic than a playground in Manhattan on a sunny Friday, right? It was wild. And you show up in a suit. I thought you had been like captured by the man. I was (laughs) like, what? Don't tell me you're like a real estate broker or something now. But, But it was not the case. But it was always... Man, we did, we've had a lot of great walks and talks over the years in a lot of different places. And I'm glad you remembered exactly where it was because, I, you know, you and I have been talking offline about this moment in America and, and also MTV. And I want to maybe we can start with that. Sure. Because I, I was reflecting on how important MTV news was and how formative it was and how pivotal it was to the national conversation. And when so many people got their news there, before The Daily Show, before the internet, uh, and the kind of Murderer's Row lineup you all had of really amazing talent. Many folks I've become friends with, but none closer than you. And it's also happening at this time where Vice goes bankrupt and BuzzFeed implodes and all this other media um, goes down. And it forced me to reflect on like, Vice never became MTV. They They never got presidential interviews. They never drove the national conversation. They were never inside the conventions you know, really shaping the discussions in the way that I think you all were. So I don't want to I don't want to lead you down any road. I just want to ask, you know, what are your reflections now on MTV News, you know, postmortem here?
1: The one thing I will say, because you got a lot of really talented people who are out of work right now. And I want to show some love and respect to uh, Vice News's division, because I think that they're, you know, that you had some really talented, probably one of the best journalists I've ever worked with in broadcast, Marsha Cook. From CBS News went over there. Uh, I mean, you just, you, you, they had some really good people doing really hard work. I know Shane did sit down with like Obama and stuff, but uh, in terms of the broad cultural impact, uh, in terms of like being people's go to spot, if you were, you know, between the ages of, I think, 13 and 24, for, oh God, from the late 80s to the 2010s. No, they didn't have as broad of a cultural impact. They didn't stay with the audience as long. You know, they weren't as continually viable of a brand as, as what we were. Um, And, um, and it's, 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 you know, uh, I don't, I think it's a big gaping hole in the marketplace right now Um, because you need somebody who's going to level with uh, young folks in this country, honestly, authentically straight, you know? Um, in, in a way that I think kind of respects their experience. And um, I, don't, I just don't even know where it's coming from now. I just, you know, all I see is noise. Really, all I see is noise.
0: Well, you were, you know, you all helped um, guide us through it, right? Like, we're roughly the same age, but I, I talked to you this when we were talking on the phone last week. I mean, there were these folks that were dynamic personalities that, that were authentic, that were diverse, uh, before there was diversity in news, Right. Yeah, and, and and talking about things in a very real way, at the same time with an edge, where it felt like you were holding people accountable, and there was, you know, Sway and Allison Stewart and Suchin and so many others that uh, have gone on to do other things. But there was this really cool uh, core of people that I felt like we as an audience trusted, and and you were were kind of like the professor of this situation, where you got you know most of the hardest interviews. You did the documentary stuff that, that, that went deeper into things like combat. You went to war zones. So I feel like, you know, the part that Vice got wrong, frankly, is the talent piece. Like there are many pieces that they may have gotten wrong. And I don't want to make this a, a Vice versus MTV comparison. But you all had some really dynamic talent that, 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 that really helped us through a moment. Well, you know, I think, look, what it... Uh...
1: I know for a fact that like Vice was very well aware when they were getting, you know, Vice News off of the ground, what they were going to say is we're, you know, we're a decentralized news organization, you know, um, it's post Walter Cronkite, right? Like it's post the voice of God. Um, you know, people are, uh, just going to gravitate towards the brand Vice and the stories, and then we're going to hold the audience that way. And I don't think that works. I actually don't think that's how people have a relationship with certainly news, but like you know, the shows they love, the movies they love, the bands that they love. Um, there's this phenomenon that I got really obsessed with when I was working at MTV called parasocial behavior. And what parasocial behavior is, it's it's an an audience develops a feeling towards their favorite late night comedian or their favorite. They think they know an actor, they think they know a politician, they think they know a talking head, whatever it is. Um, but it's like a real emotional connection. And um, you can do one or two things with that, right? Like you can respect the fact that people will come up to you and they will, you know, reflect on you, the parasocial relationship that they have with you when you're on TV. You know, if they like you, they'll tell you. If they don't like you, they'll tell you. If you did something, you know, or they want to be heard in a certain way, you know, they'll tell you. Um, But you can't just do that with a brand, right? Like you can't do that with Coca-Cola. You can't just do that with you know, and I think you see that, you know, not to hook it to the writer's strike, but I think that's the, you know, that's why you've got all these people out, potentially the directors and the actors as well, is because the conventional corporate wisdom that ruled vice at that time, and I think exists right now, is that folks have that relationship with a corporate brand, because the people inside are drinking the Kool-Aid. And maybe there's a, you know, a uh, there's an analogy here for like the Democrats and the Republicans, right? Like people have a relationship with, you know, the, the, the party, and it's just not true. People have a relationship with human beings, human content, human feelings, human ideas, and you have to cultivate and nurture that even if it comes, you know, if it's somewhat expensive to do. So, um, you know, kudos to all the honest brokers out there. Kudos to all the people that are still in the game and trying to have a respectful relationship with their audience, and level with their audience, and be straight with their audience—it's um, a hard job. And um, I, I think the people who pull it off are, 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 are just fucking awesome.
0: I put you in that category because when I when I, I met you, I felt like I knew you already, right? Because I grew up watching, or at least for a couple of years. When when did you get to MTV? Like two thousand? Yeah, late ninety
1: nine, December yeah. ninety nine.
0: And I want, you know, I want to ask you to reflect on that story and share that if you can. I know you have before, but for folks maybe who haven't heard how you got there, I think that that that's important. But before we do, that, that central point you're making is so critical where, you know, I trusted you before I knew you. And then when I met you, like where a lot of people fail, you were, you know, as honest and had the integrity in person that I saw on TV. So I said to you, let's get into Iraq. Let's start to go into this you know, we were in regular contact, we were connecting you with people who were sources, right? And and I found that to be true with a couple people in the MTV News Network, that it wasn't bullshit, you guys were the same out in front that you were in the back. And I think that that really was key. And maybe people don't understand, because when MTV, you know, the the death was announced a couple weeks ago, it felt like a funeral, right? Maybe maybe we felt like, you know, maybe MTV was on life support, and we didn't know it for a while. but, But when they announced it, You know, I remember when I stepped down from IABA, somebody said to me, like, this is going to be as close as you get to watching your own funeral. Yeah. Right. And so you all finally got in many ways the love and respect that I think you always deserve and maybe forced us all to reflect, too, on the fact that I told you this, like, we miss your voices. Like, I want to see a reunion. And I don't know if it's going to be Andy Cohen or The Atlantic or someone, but I hope maybe it's, you know, the writers when they come back on strike that gets you all in a room or or finds a way to tell the stories of each of you? Because I think that that is so important. You came at it from different places. You went off into different places, but you were really kind of the the trust keepers for at least two decades for a generation of Americans and and around the world. You were interpreting America for the world in a way that maybe we'll never see again too. Yeah, I mean, it was a really unique thing i mean it's funny that you should talk
1: about it like um like attending your own funeral because that was the thing that i keep thinking of it's like that scene in tom sawyer you know where he like goes to his own funeral and he hears all these people say all these like things about him he's like oh maybe it wasn't that bad of a guy um it it i think people were mourning i i think it would be uh foolish to to say that people were mourning like me or my work or or I even say, you know, Sway in his work, Su Chin and her work, Kurt and his work, John in his work, all wonderful people. I think what was mostly people were mourning was that there was a shared experience, mm-hmm. you know, um, that there was a place where lots of different people from lots of different walks of life went after school, you know, uh, to be raised by their television and hang out with their TV friends. And that, you know, our little crew, like our little, you know, AV squad was uh, a part of that experience that people really loved and thought of fondly and had a lot of, you know, strong, um, strong moments with, I don't know where you have sports, I guess, Mm -hmm. sports, you know, it's up to the athletes now. Um, and I think a lot of them have taken on these wonderful outspoken roles, you know, but, um, I don't know where America has that shared experience and it's for a loss uh, because you need, you need public things. Like you need, you need to share reality with fucking people because if you cannot share reality with people, God help us. I mean, I, I feel like that's been the ill of like the last couple of years in this country is just, you have a bunch of people who just exist in these parallel, but like not contiguous realities. So um,
0: I don't know. Yeah, I think that the shared experiences are really um, small in number, and often they're disasters, right? Whether it's like we're all facing a hurricane together, or there's a terrible school shooting, or you know, and then there's the World Cup and a couple of isolated things. But even then, when those when those tragedies happen or those shared experiences happen, they go through your tribe, right? So it's you, you you you're taken through it by Rachel Maddow, or you're taken through it by Tucker Carlson, and that that shared um, experience around the experience is no longer. There anymore, right? And yeah. and and you all helped. I think you know. I remember being that kid coming home from school, and I I think I was telling my wife the other day we were leaving um, we we were leaving a sporting event. I can't and and Home Sweet Home was playing the old yeah, sure. Motley Crue song, and yeah. I remembered yeah. like how oh we were coming out of um we were coming maybe we were coming out of the Knicks game or something, but like we were remembering. I remembered to her. Remember when that was the number one song on MTV oh for like Absolutely. a year. Okay. Oh, right? I remember the video intimately. Vince Neal, yeah, the the, right? yeah, motorcycle yeah. and the whole yeah, the whole thing. But like it was all a shared experience. We shared the music, we shared the people, we shared, you know, I think it was Kurt telling everyone that Kurt Cobain had died, right? Absolutely. So we shared all of that together and it's fragmented. So there's a real nostalgia for that now. But yeah. I also wonder if there's an opportunity, um, because there's so many folks, like I, I've said this to you many times over the years. I wish America was hearing from you right now. Because you have that perspective and you have that reflection and you also had that commitment. I mean, you got a Peabody, you got an Emmy, you got respect in in a higher level, too. Let me tell you how shitty the aftermarket
1: is on used VJs. Like, not to mention, like, you know, there's I have to like people who are watching this have to be like, Jesus Christ, what the fuck happened to him? Is that a gland issue? Like he looks terrible. I feel like I'm the ghost of Christmas future, just here to like rattle my bones and terrify you about You're not the
0: ravages. Bad. You just look a little grayer. You don't. You didn't gain four hundred pounds. You don't look that bad, man. That's it's kind of you to say,
1: but um, no, I tried. You know, I tried. There were different um times where I think I tried to get back in the game. There was like some restructure shit over at like sixty minutes where I was like, oh god, I, I would love to, or some like um you know, uh, like startup stuff that had happened. And you know, we're talking within the last, like, you know, 10 plus years. Um, but you know, the thing about waves is that they close out you know, mm-hmm. if you don't ride them. And so I didn't. And I think, you know, I had also committed to telling stories this way, really wanting to learn the skill of like how to, you know, tell stories in scripted television, because, I saw people having as deep a connection with stories and make-believe characters and your ability to do more depth and nuance and character and all of this other stuff that I thought, well, okay, well, you know, you got to evolve, right? Mm -hmm. Got to adapt. What's the, uh, you're the one that turned me on to leadership on the line, right? Like, and what's the quote, right? If you're going to choose one fucking aspect of anything about yourself, not strength, not intelligence, not beauty, not charisma, not constitution. Just going through the D and D top six mm-hmm. is adaptability, right? So you gotta adapt, you gotta evolve. Well,
0: you you're, so, you're doing like, that, and you've always done that. And and I wanna I wanna go deeper, but I also want to ask you if you know MTV is dead and we're all at MTV's funeral here. Funerals are fun because you can kind of tell the stories that you about the person you knew, right? And I, w- I would I would ask drinking. you We should be drinking at this, we should be drinking at this funeral. We, we should be. I mean, I think that's a, that's a part we I mean, used to It drink. is nine a.m. here in Los Angeles. So uh, we a.m. could still drink often and, and later. But in the meantime, like, are, are there any anecdotes or parts of MTV that you want folks who, whether they loved MTV or whether they're now like learning about MTV news for the first time because they're the younger generation, whether an older generation never really understood it, you know, what 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 are you know what is there anything you want to share about MTV that you feel yeah. like needs to be told?
1: I, okay, I'll tell a story. I'm gonna tell my I'm gonna tell my September eleventh story. Can I tell my September eleventh story. Yes. Please. Um, because like that was a, uh, you know, I think that's where it got really real for me. Um, and um I don't really tell the story very often, but I think it's a good story because it was it's like the totality of like a fucking day while I was there. So I was asked to leave MTV on Thursday, uh September the sixth. My contract was going to be up. uh my my option was running out. And uh, I was told that I was no longer needed. And the reason that I was no longer needed was I was hired in 2000 um, to do like get out the vote, you know, politics for young people kind of stuff. And by 2001, you know, we, we were living in a time that was largely, there was this onion headline that came out a couple of weeks after September 11th that I always loved, which was nation longs to um, care about meaningful bullshit yet again. And the picture was Britney Spears holding the snake around her from the 2001 MTV Video Music Awards. Um, and they told me, actually, on the day of the Video Music Awards, they handed out the grids about who was going to be doing live shots. and had all the other correspondents set up, and I didn't have any role. And so I went to the executive producer, this woman, Jane, and I said, what's going on? And she said, well, you know, we're not going to pick up your option. You don't really fit in here. Um, it's been a nice run, but, like, let's start talking about an exit strategy. You know, so I worked that night at the VMAs, and then that whole weekend, I was like, shit, I got to get a real job. You know, I'm 23 years old, for Christ's sake. What am I supposed to do? I've like punted the reality of my life for a year after graduating college. Now I got to go out into the marketplace. And Monday night, there was this Michael Jackson concert, and everybody was still hungover from the VMAs. So they were like, hey, low man on the totem pole, dipshit, go, go cover it. So I'm out, I'm covering Michael Jackson, I'm out late. I go drinking after I drop my tapes off and then I go home and I got to get up early. Cause I, I wasn't going to stay up all night logging my tapes. So I, I, I get up, I go in, uh, I'm living in Burnhill in Brooklyn at the time. And I, um, I get on the, the, the subway subway goes underneath from J street, borough hall, uh, normally goes up the West side of Manhattan, but this time takes a detour into the, uh, the world trade center. All of these people load on. And then it does this weird thing where it starts to like roll back towards Brooklyn. What the fuck is going on? And then it jettisons forward past the World Trade Center, picks more people up, and then takes us up to 14th Street and says, you know, this train is out of service. And I have my headphones in the whole time. And I'm like, who are all these dicks from World Trade Center that are just like rushing into the subway and like crunching people, like, you know, packing us in like sardines? It's like, guys, chill out. And um, finally I get up to Times Square and I go inside. And uh, that's when I see that the plane is the first plane is hit, and Judy McGrath, who's the president of MTV, is like pacing out front of the studio, which is, if you remember, if you watched it, on top of Times Square. She says, "Put on a clean T-shirt. You, uh, you know, you're going to have to go on TV. Like, you're our politics guy, and this is like a politics story." Um, and none of the executive producers had gotten in. It was like a like a like a skeleton crew. Uh, so I get up to the 29th floor, which is uh, where. Um, we did all of our work and, and it's just like this big wide open bullpen where all of the TVs are tuned into New York one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so you're just watching this kind of like depth of field, like psychedelic, you know, uh, look of the, of the burning, um, towers. And then the first tower went down and we just watched it on live TV. And then all the sirens went off in the building cause it started evacuating the building. Cause there was a general fear that, um, uh, uh, Times square was going to get hit. Um, and so I grabbed, I had a police press pass. I grabbed a MTV promotional skateboard so I could move around quickly. Um, it's a TRL and it was like the worst skateboarding graphics ever. And I was like, if my friends see me on this, I'm going to get a ton of shit, but I need wheels, um, a bunch of cameras, a bunch of battery packs and then got the fuck out and went back down to the line. Cause I knew I could cross the police lines. Cause I had a, I had a press pass. And I just started shooting, and I started shooting all day. And uh, I remember I was at St. Vincent's on Fourteenth Street, and uh, you had all these people that were sitting out with these gurneys waiting for stretchers
0: were all outside. Yep,
1: and nobody was doing it. And so then you know, um, MTV went to uh, we 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 started rolling just music videos. But Judy called and said, "Look, if you guys can cut news packages, we'll roll them every fifteen minutes. Like we'll give you." And our news packages were three minutes. We'll give you 50% of the airtime to intercut it with music videos. Um, if you can bring us back stuff. And that year uh, was the year of James Bird and Matthew Shepard. And our, our pro social campaign was about hate crimes. So I just started like interviewing Muslim American kids, Sikh American kids, you know, folks that, um, might be on the receiving end of some confusion or ire uh if they were the lone brown kid in middle America mm. um essentially to decry and say look this isn't my background this isn't this is a perversion of 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 Islam i kept thinking well who's the person that i could get that could maybe provide some context because i'm from new york right like i'm from new york city i'm from one of the truly great diverse societies that history has ever made, you know, everybody from everywhere. We all fucking hate each other, but we all fucking get along and we all fucking love each other. And like, really, it just comes down to Yankees versus Mets. And, um, I thought in my mind, Muhammad Ali, right? Cause here's the most prominent, uh, American, um, African American Islamic, you know, person I could think of. And so I called his manager and I said, can I get him on the phone for three minutes to explain that this is maybe a perversion of Islam? So me, by the way, American Jewish kid from Queens. Yeah. So I get back to my apartment in Burnham Hill at the end of the night. There's like this fine layer of dust across of everything. I'm not going to vacuum. Uh, so the only place where I can really sleep is my bathtub. So I go and I park it to go bunk in my bathtub. I'm 23 years old. And I lay down and my phone rings and it's Muhammad Ali. And I end up laying at 10, 11 o'clock at night, having an hour and 15 minute conversation with Muhammad Ali about how I'm fucking doing. In addition to doing this piece, which I then, you know, and I, and I get to, and it's a, it's a deep talk. And then I, I cut it and we run packages around it. And I go to Broadway video the next morning and I pipe it out. And 36 million people watched it. And that's what it was to work at MTV. I was 23 years old. You can have the most dynamic day in your life. You can have a heart to heart with like one of the truly great icons of America. And then you can go out and you can convey that to literally a 10th of the country like that. So that's, that's what the experience was. And after that, obviously they rehired me and I had a job in an <laughs>
0: Thank you for sharing that. I, I think you and I talked years ago about how I wanted I still want to create a show that's just called 9-11 stories because yeah. everybody's got a 9-11 story um and and they need to be told. But yours is is so unique and powerful and exceptional. And maybe when the writer's strike is over, you can write that story because that would make a hell of a movie right there. That story you just told. Um and we were. You know, as someone who was living it, I remember the empty gurneys in front of St. Vincent's, and and I remember the chaos. And and back to the the central part of what we were talking about, I remember you know being down there, but knowing that everybody was looking up, saying, "Make sense of this for us." Yeah. And and you and your ability to stitch that together, um, you know, helped us through that time. And then you also guided us through the twenty years that followed. And we could maybe do a whole series on Iraq and Afghanistan and post 9-11. But let me just ask you this, because I love your insights on all things, Gideon. Now you're a parent. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not in your 20s. You're in your 40s. That's you and so. I talk every so often about the state of the world, um, like old guys did when I was younger, <laughs> I feel like. Oh, yeah. But what, what's your take on where the country is right now? Um, it's not great, Bob.
1: i mean look it's i you know you think i think of these things in terms of my son and i think of these things in terms of my daughter you know we have been friends for what 20 years right Mm -hmm. we were roughly we've been friends for roughly as long as we were old when we started our narrative began and we kind of really engaged with the world in a meaningful way um i think back to those times and there are things about those times that i think were you know really particularly difficult, you know, if, if, if you're lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, I don't think living at a time, you know, in the late nineties, early two thousands, uh, was as, you know, welcoming, accepting, um, you know, uh, as America is now, So it's, it's easy to say, oh, those were the good old days. Right. And be like, you know, blissfully unaware of of the way that it impacted it. Mm -hmm. There's a conversation about um, race. I think there's conversations about gender that like, yeah, it, it was a great time to be like a fucking straight white guy. But like, there was a lot of culture of acceptance for, you know, toxicity in the workplace, you know, along the lines of race and sex. And I think we've made a lot of progress as a country in that direction. And I think we've had a lot of difficult but necessary conversations. Because again, if you're going to choose one thing, you choose adaptability. Having said that, I look at the things that would have to go right, the number of successive things that would have to go right. For my son at 20 to have the kind of opportunity and to have the kind of, Um, let's just start with opportunity that we had. And I think that part of the American dream is fucking broken. And I think America is broken. And I think, you know, the the boomer thing of just like wait until they all die out to start addressing these problems because it's not politically expedient to do it. Fuck that noise. We got kids and it's going to take a minute to turn a ship this big. So, you know... The gun thing freaks me out because I remember what a big deal Columbine was and I remember what a transgressive and taboo breaking change it was to have to worry about a school shooting as a part of daily life. You know, I'm a gun owner uh, I I'm not and I don't believe that you know you should have some of these weapons without regulation and background checks and insurance, you know because I'm worried about sending my kid to a public school, you know, or a private school or a fucking synagogue, knowing that, you know, there's just a higher risk basis for, for, uh, him getting shot. And I keep saying him because he's like out in the world. My daughter's only 18 months. So it's not like, I don't give a shit about her. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, also she's like very athletic and spry and I kind of feel like she would be like the one that would like fight back and dominate the, the shooter in the school shooting situation. Um, but that's worrisome to me. Um, you know, right, can I ask? Wages, you just, wages have uh, been stagnant for twenty odd years. That's worrisome to me. That you, you know, uh, middle, you know, especially middle class wages. That that all of society has turned into a combination of a casino and like a vacuum for a very small subset of the population. That is worrisome to me. That like we've lost some fundamental abilities and skills and that we don't share, you know, a a public reality that's worrisome to me. Mm -hmm. So we, we gotta, we gotta, we got a big load of shit to fix ahead of us. I mean, I love America. I love California. I love New York city. I love, you know, uh, the places that I've been fortunate enough to, to make homes in. Um, you know, most of my family doesn't live there. Most of my family's from Louisiana. Um, but you know, I, I just, uh, i I think we got a lot of work to do.
0: I appreciate your insight on that too. Um and this is why I wish like we could have fireside chats with Gideon once a week, um because you've always been great at putting the pieces together and And I think that you you touch on a lot of things that people are concerned about. You also covered the politics of it. So I can't have you on the show and not ask you. For your, your your analysis, commentary, reflections on what's looking like a Trump versus Biden matchup.
1: You know, uh look, I mean, you kind of I'm I'm you know, Freud calls it civilization and it's discontents, right? You're not gonna get everything you want. Like n- nobody wants to deal with the discontents part of civilization, but there's a discontents part of a civilization. Um, It does, I do think it's, if it's not a Biden versus Trump matchup, I I also know that, like, in my experience, you know, Herman Cain was the front runner in, like, December 2015. Like, a lot of this is fucking angels on a pinhead until you get these caucuses together in Iowa, and you get people on the streets in New Hampshire, and then suddenly, oh, shit, you know, the conventional wisdom gets kind of put on its head. Um, I think Biden is your Democratic candidate. I think he's doing a real bang up job. (laughs) You know, Uh, I have my issues with the conduct of the evacuation of of Afghanistan. But I think as a politician who is making compromises and doing deals to serve the American people, like, I would I would love a boring and effective fucking dude, as opposed to some barn burning shit store that has us at each other's throats. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I don't think that's fucking healthy. I think you got to make compromises and then you got to get to work because we got shit to do. Mm. So this this idea of this like ideological purity, identity, politics, bullshit, that's got to go. Like we there are fucking big holes in this country. We are still digging ourselves out of a pandemic, and we got a lot of work to do to kind of set it right. So um, yeah, my 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 heart's with anybody who's gonna just do the work as opposed to. The fucking song and dance.
0: I, 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 I work get- in entertainment.
1: I don't want it in politics. If you want to walk on my side of the street, come out here and deal with the shitty pay and the bullshit agents. Don't do it there. Like, there is a place for it. And it's, 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 you'll get a great bass tan, but like, it's not, that's I, not there.
0: I, I, I want to I wonder what the 20 something year old MTV news correspondent would think about a time 20 years in the future where two 80 year old guys are running against each other. It's like the nightmare scenario for everything that was MTV news when you all were talking about young people and the power of young people. It was kind of a you know every and there was also you know the 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 business model magic of TRL and the award shows and rock the vote and all the other components kind of helping shape the culture. But in the midst of all that, I don't want to leave you without Trump. What, sure. what is your value? I consider him the number Mr. one I consider him, I've said, I think he's the number one national security threat. I think it doesn't, it matters if he wins the nomination, but he's also important because he has millions of angry people with guns who are following him. So I look at him as much as a a domestic insurgent and a national security threat as I do a political candidate for office. But what's your take on what he is right now?
1: Yeah, so uh, what he is right now is uh i first let me say i want to sh- show respect for the people who go out there and like bought into his bullshit because there's a lot of fucking like you know no you know you have a lot of people who were facing complex problems in their communities you know um i think a lot of those problems are economic in nature i do buy that I do that believe that you have a lot of people whose like livelihoods and sense of a future was hollowed the fuck out. Um, I think they got, and they were looking for someone to provide a easy solution to that. And in comes this fat orange schmuck, you know, who literally, if he had just taken all the money he had inherited from his father and put it in like s and P five hundred ETF would have been profoundly more wealthy than he is now. Like if he had never done anything and just sat on his money, he would be even richer than he is now. He like touches these things and he just destroys them. And you knew that if you were from New York, you're like, this schmuck is a joke. You know, he, he, he's got, he wants to like, he's schmooze his way to the front page of the New York post. But, um, just, just i feel bad that they got taken in by this fucking con artist Mm -hmm. he's a grifter there's no there there he like there never has been a there there if you look at the numbers it's you know (sighs) he's a marketing guy and I, i i just i think he's bad for america yes is he a national security threat and all these other things I think he kind of unleashed that it was acceptable to be a certain brand of incompetent, angry prick, and that the key to success was denigrating your fellow man. And that's mm. all that you needed to, like, get yourself in the spotlight. Mm. And um, um, fuck that noise, right? Like, I work, you know, just fuck that noise. Make shit. Sure. Dude, as then, we get to the as ride we ride uh, in like fucking making stuff rather than just like bringing in the comments section get busy get active like go to fucking shop class dude like whatever you need to do get your fucking hands dirty go make some shit try some shit like
0: uh see this is the gideon they didn't get on mtv news and if there were drinks there would have been a lot more of that that shit would have been turned up yeah, and i want to yeah. So you're, you're touching on something that i thought ken burns on this show i'm not saying really trump by the way i'm just saying stop him no, I got it. I got it. But I think I think Ken Burns talked a lot about the power of grievance. Yeah. And, and the history of grievance in this country. And, and he very artfully laid out how Trump has 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 manufactured and amplified and, and driven that in different directions. But as we think about grievance in this, grievance in this reflection, let me ask you to talk about the writer's strike for a second, because my sense is most Americans aren't tracking on it. Most Americans kind of don't give a fuck. Right? Because there's Ukraine, there's prices, there's Memorial Days coming. They have a million streaming options. They don't understand maybe what writers do or who they are. But let me ask you, you know, like an MTV News type question. You know, why should America give a shit about the writer's strike right now? I think that Hollywood labor is
1: fighting for some really basic stuff that all Americans are fighting for. We're just doing it as a collective bargaining campaign. You know, everybody is facing down their boss and their boss says, now's not the right time. We don't have enough money. The the, the business has changed, whether it's globalization or tech disruption or private equity coming in and just levering a company with a shit ton of debt So that, you know, the private equity executives can write themselves fat checks and then they can fucking sell a viable business for parts. You know, the writers and our our colleagues, the directors and the actors, because it looks like this is going to be the first time you're going to have a general strike in Hollywood history, are simply saying, why, why, why are we giving it all up to tech? Why are we giving it all up to the business model of private equity? You know? You got a bunch of people who make something and have made something for a hundred years in America that audiences love, they pay for, and you can export around the world. Not a ton of businesses like that. And we have done that, you know, facing tech disruption. We have done that facing, you know, audience fragmentation. We've done that, you know, facing a, a business where like even our streams of income have been annihilated. All we are asking for is not to be turned into a bunch of freelance workers because that is what fits the business model of some people who got into entertainment 10 years ago, mm-hmm. Netflix and Apple and Amazon, mm-hmm. wonderful mm-hmm. companies, but they, they operate, you know, they're financed by cheap money and they come in and say, you know, we create value by just diminishing labor and intellectual property. and. Um, Enough is enough, man. Like, you know, we're we're fighting for the viability of our business for the next 15 years. So um
0: so fuck that shit. So fuck that shit. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah.
1: and also like, you know, look, this I think this country has suffered by the diminished power of collective bargaining.
0: I I think that that's the that's the piece that I really am fascinated to track on because sure this this could be a turning point for the power of unions in America. Or it could be another dying gasp of organized labor in America, right? And we'll see how it goes because it reminds me kind of of, of like a player strike in, in, in an athletic sport, right? Because sure. on, on principle, what, what I think they're saying makes a lot of sense to people. But the package that it comes in, like nobody feels bad for LeBron James. Nobody's going to feel bad for Nicole Kidman or whoever these Hollywood people are. And it's happening in the midst of a culture war. Right. So it's going to be one of these things that Desantis is going to love to annihilate Hollywood. Look at the spoiled brats in Hollywood who are on strike, and and Biden's going to be again caught in a tough position where there's the pro oh, POTUS man. Exactly. POTUS 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 had our back, man. He was. Now, like, I know that now, but I think over time. It's gonna be a tough political position, right? And in an election campaign, this could be one of those things like the national anthem and 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 kneeling, you know, during games that's gonna be amplified around the culture wars in ways that I don't know if folks are fully comprehending right now. Yeah, it's it's Trump Biden can take that position now. But a year from now, when he's fighting Trump in in Pennsylvania and in Florida and in Texas, where people don't really feel like that's an issue for them, I think it has the opportunity to be really radioactive in ways that maybe we haven't fully grasped yet.
1: I don't. I don't think. I don't think people are going to give that much of a shit. Like you know, we're fucking writers. We're like you know, and they're going to
0: give a shit because you guys are easy targets, right? Like someone's going to say, "Hey, they make hundreds of thousands of dollars. They're in Hollywood. They have a good life." You know, yeah, I'm, I'm trying in to put, in the table.
1: you You know, you, you put, you put the wrong character in the wrong outfit or you like make the wrong plot turn. Like, you know, you're not flying under the radar when you do this gig. like, you know, people, people are going to hate.
0: You. I don't mean to disrespect the people doing it at all, but I'm getting ready for what will be like, this is going to be Fox news bombing away on San Francisco, right? The way they are right now. It's like, it folds into the Hollywood elite. Um, this, this division that people see, unfair most not right? the hollywood elite that's the thing this is I, I get that right and and biden's See, done some good doing? things for the look, economy look, look, but look, people look. don't want to hear that either right sure. like I, so this is where this is where you
1: everybody's got to just kind of unclench and like talk to each other like <laughs> they're freaking human beings
0: that's what I hope can happen. That's what I hope you can guide. Let me ask you to build on that. right? Because this you
1: is- can like, what is it? How did they kill David Carradine and, and Kung Fu was the autoerotic asphyxiation. Like there's people who like to choke themselves out in order to get a boner. And like, you can do that with clutching pearls, right? Like you can be like so high and mighty about your own shit that like, you're actually like pop in a semi because that's what feels
0: good. And, you know, that's the clip right th- I'm paused. Yeah, that's sure. the clip right yeah, there. Wonderful. Like, that's this the Golden right. Gideon. That's I'm not employable clip. as a, a fucking That's the Golden Gideon shit that y'all didn't get on MTV News right there. That's the shit that I got when we had a couple of drinks and walked around Avenue okay. A. But, so but I do think there's. I'm not king
1: but those people need to shut the fuck up. Because well, maybe, the, majority, maybe. the majority of the people out there in the picket lines, you know, you are talking about people who are all of these basic things that are generational
0: for us. I want to own a home, but the buy-in for home prices is ridiculous. You know, I've always told you, oftentimes, Gideon, you are right, and you are too smart for the audience that you're talking to, right? Like you you have – you're Professor Gideon. Like you, are, you have always been, you know, the smart, Socratic, intellectual, and, you know, but you, you still go into Waffle House and understand how things go in Louisiana. So let I me really ask you a really important – hold Karen, on. Let me, let me ask you a question awesome. that's relevant – I want to continue this conversation many times, and I know we will, whether it's for public or not. But let me ask you a question that's kind of central to this show, which is you said, like, we got to figure out a way to get along in my view, the two-party duopoly is propelling a lot of these divisions. These candidates in the culture wars will propel these divisions. In the same way people are saying they want none of the above in cable news media and so many other places, they're saying the same thing in politics. 49% of the country is unaffiliated and independent and 60% plus of young people, right? The next generation of MTV News is not a Democrat or Republican. They're probably independent, right, or unaffiliated, or they're more likely to be. Talk about That this show is called Independent Americans. You are, are, you in many ways have been an independent journalist. You support independent causes. Sure. What talk to me about what you see is there an opportunity there or is it overinflated? I think,
1: look, and I'm, you know, maybe this is just the conditioning of having worked at MTV News, but like, you know, I will always interpret these things along generational lines. And when you are talking about, you know, it's Trump versus Biden, you know, the immediate thing that I'm thinking of is. Well, it's just you have a situation where the boomers kind of strangle held American society and are refusing to kind of accept a narrative or dialogue or like the relinquishing of power outside of that. And it's causing problems, you know, and um, there was this phenomenon that was studied at the American University of uh, Beirut in Lebanon called weight hood that got a lot of traction after the Arab Spring. And what they were saying is that you have these situations where when you talk about Tunisia, where you were talking about Egypt, when you're talking about Lebanon, you know, where you see these mass youth-based Iran outcropping, you know, a, a, a turnout, um, it's because you have these people that are kind of stuck in neutral for decades at a time, and they don't have an adulthood, they have a waithood. And mm-hmm. America has that right now, you know, waithood to get a home, waithood to start a family. Waithood to start making wages that are pro rated to what your parents were making, you know uh, and and it's just it's going to explode. You're going to have a bunch of people who are at a certain point and you know just going to have to say, look, we have to start taking the political process and the political pro- you know power structure back for ourselves. So it's funny, like DeSantis, I think a lot about DeSantis because he's my age, right? 44, 45 years old, but he's doing an act for a bunch of booms. You know, he's not, he's not playing us. Mm -hmm. You know, anybody in your life who talks like Ron DeSantis, you know, anybody in your life who thinks like Ron DeSantis, like I don't. And that's not, you know, for lack of like exposing myself to alternate worldviews. It's like everybody I you know that thinks and acts and talks like Ron DeSantis is seventy-five years old.
0: <laughs> yeah, you know? they tend. They t- there's uh, a lot of them around where my in-laws. Shit. There's and a lot of them where my in-laws live in Florida. Yeah, I mean, and and that that is a base for him. But I want to. I could do this all day with you, and I would love to. Maybe you know, when the writers are thinking about what to write, they could write something for us to do together. Um, and you and I can cook something up. But in the meantime, uh, I hope you'll stick around for our Patreon members. I'm going to ask you the car question and the drink question and a couple others that are favorites that our Patreon members will support. But let me ask you a, a final question, Gideon. As a person I love and admire and respect and, and listen to and look to, um, you, you you I said to you when I saw you last time, parenthood looks good on you. Oh, thanks. thanks. And, and you and I both became parents later in our life. Yeah. Um, Do you have any insights or wisdom now that you're a parent that you didn't have before?
1: Uh, I do. And it came from you, Paul. I like to tell everyone uh, the story about when I told you that I was going to become a dad. Um, Do you recall it? Do you recall what your piece of advice was? Because I still maintain that it's the best piece of parenting advice I have ever received and the most honest piece of parenting advice. Did I I tell you to ask other people for advice? No. You told me core strength. Oh. (laughs) <laughs> like you're gonna be moving around a lot. You're gonna want to pick them up, put them down. You're gonna really want to dedicate towards your core, and that to me is the best piece of fatherhood advice I've ever received.
0: <laughs> I thought you were I, the other piece of advice I give people usually is um ask everyone you come into contact with for their advice, like whether it's a cab driver or you're no matter what country you're in, wherever you are, because everybody has an opinion usually about parenting and kids. They usually have an opinion about sports. They always have an opinion about the weather and then usually they have an opinion about local politics, right? So you can ask any New Yorker, Hey, what do you think of the mayor? Nobody's going to be like, I don't really have an opinion, right? Everybody's got a fucking opinion on the mayor. And I think if you ask people about parenting that they don't have kids, <laughs> they, they, they feel uniquely entitled to share their opinion. And it is a source of great information and wisdom, but you are a great source of information and wisdom. I am grateful that you finally join me on this show i hope we can do it more often folks watching on video we'll get an inside look at your copier it looks like you stole it from mtv That's right in, in 1998 you have an actual copier there i gave you shit earlier that we can see inside your bedroom and there's something on the bedside table that,
1: that,
0: that it kind East of East, looks East. like a dildo kind of looks like no, a dildo
1: it's not it's I, I it's a it's a harvard kennedy school water bottle
0: I Which sure is did. such a perfectly giddy, and it's, it's not a dildo. It is a Harvard Kennedy School water bottle. Shout out yes. to the Weinstein
1: Center. Yes. Um. I, I was just going to say that, you know, the greatest of MTV cribs was the Red Man crib, where, like, you walk into his house, and it's like, these are my kids. This is their Sega Genesis. Like, the residuals on Muddy Waters are not what you think. So I always aspire to that kind of breaking with right. wall. Well, we can keep cooking cookin up shows. A shitty printer. It is shitty, but it, it gets the job
0: done. You know, and, it's, and you're making it happen, as you always have, and you're doing it with wisdom and heart and insight. I, I think you are a professor Uh, of of the arts of America. I don't know what to call it, but you have a a wisdom that is very, very important always. And even more so now than it was before you were wise beyond your years. And you had a way of being a voice for so many people and also shining a light on so many important issues. I love you very much as a friend and I'm grateful for your voice as an American. I hope to see you in person soon. And until then, enjoy the water bottle and stay vigilant. (laughs) Thanks, buddy. All right, people, the helpers are out there. And my friend, the very brilliant Gideon Diego, is truly one of them. And go back and do yourself a favor and watch some YouTube clips of him from his time at MTV News. And, of course, follow him on social media and watch out for what he's cooking up next. And maybe just shoot him a note to tell him thank you for keeping a focus for all those years when few others would. Sometimes... That's how we need helpers to help out the most. Always look for the helpers. There there
1: will always be helpers, you know, even just on the sidelines. If you look for the helpers,
0: you'll know that there's hope. Unless you're new here, you know the deal. Look for the hashtag, look for the helpers on social media, and please share yours with me. Look for them. They're out there, the helpers, every single day making an impact, lifting us up, and moving us forward, young and old. So please keep sharing them and posting them. And when you're on social, please, whether you're young or old, play guest-to-guest every Wednesday night. You can get on board and play that game with me and others. And last week, nobody got young Tim Mack, the tenacious independent journalist that I spoke to from live inside Ukraine, but there were some guesses. L.D. Lane I don't know where or who or how you are, but I know that you said, I've been waiting and hoping for Malcolm Nance. Good guess was not Malcolm Nance, but we will bring young Malcolm, not so young Malcolm Nance, back at some point soon. Also chiming in, of course, is our friend Delfino Sanchez down in Houston, Texas. I have no idea how old Delfino Sanchez is, but I know he's tenacious and he always guesses the guest. And he said, hi, Paul. Has the number of guesses received gone down as it appears the clue difficulty has gone up? That's a good question. It has been tough lately and not many of you have gotten it. And the number of guesses has gone down. But you did guess the great and powerful Nolan Peterson. No, it was not Nolan Peterson, as you now know. But we do celebrate Nolan Peterson, who reported to us live from inside Ukraine. I encourage you to go back and check that out and follow his work. And Delfino also thanked us for consistently sharing the five eyes, independence, integrity, information, inspiration, and impact. And he asked me, this was a few days ago, Lakers or Denver. Now let me tell you a story. I walked in to get my son a pair of basketball shoes last week and when I was in this place that was kind of like a low end footlocker, I got into a discussion slash argument with the entire staff and I told them, in the middle of Union Square, in the middle of the store, the Lakers were gonna get swept. They laughed at me. They said I was crazy, and I said, look, I'm going to come back into the store afterward and tell you that the Lakers got swept by Denver because Denver is that good. So I'm picking Denver, Delfino, to win the whole thing. Now, I love Jimmy Butler and the Miami Heat and what they're doing. I'd love to see Jimmy Butler against Jokic at the end here, but I just don't think I can pick him against Denver. Unless you live on the West Coast or in Denver, you probably don't appreciate how good they are. Because we don't see them that much on the East Coast, but they are good, they are young, they are tight, and they are going to win this whole damn thing. So there's what probably will not be my last comments on a fantastic and fabulous NBA playoffs. But as of this recording, the Nuggets have not yet won the championship, and as of this recording, no one has yet guessed Gideon Diego. So you have time to still chime in and time for next episode, and maybe I will be able to give you a shot. And next week, I will share who correctly guessed Gideon Diego. And... Go to independentamericans.us where you can show your support for this show by joining our Patreon community. Big shout out to all of our Patreon members, especially Mark Reed, who's been in our corner for a long time. Mark and our other Patreon members get exclusive content with Gideon. You're going to get an extra segment of conversation where I'm going to ask him his favorite drink, his first car, the music he's loving, which is something you want to hear from an MTV guy. And I ask him pancakes and waffles and to pick his favorite place for his Favorite thing in New York and LA. You want to check that out? If you're a Patreon member, more at independentamericans.us where you can get merch and you can check out all the recent media hits including my weekly segments on News Nation with Marnie Hughes where we focus on national security vets and political stuff. I always link to last week's show in the show notes, but that's 11:15 or so every Thursday on News Nation. You can find it on your cable dial or at newsnation.com. Also this week I will be on the hill on News Nation, The Hill newspaper now has a show on News Nation and that will air on Monday on Memorial Day. I'll also be on Deadline White House on MSNBC with Nicole Wallace this Thursday and I think again next week, and I'm hoping that Nicole will actually join us as a guest on this show soon, so stay tuned for that. And finally, I'll be on the Chuck Todd Toddcast. I recorded it today and it'll air sometime over the next couple of days, so look for that and check out my episode with Chuck Todd from months ago. That was a good one. And hit me up on social media. Subscribe, share, do all the things. Let people know that this show is out there. Don't let them forget and keep the fire burning. And you're going to see a bit more of me this week on the media and all around because it is an important time. It is Memorial Day.
1: Two days past 18, he was waiting for the bus and his army green sat down in a booth. Cafe there gave his order to a girl with a bow in her hair He's a little shy so she'd give him a smile And he said, would you mind sitting down for a while and talking to me I'm
0: feeling
1: a little low
0: There's lots of songs that have a connection to the phone And in some way to Memorial Day But for many reasons, this one by the Chicks They used to be called the Dixie Chicks Is always one of my favorites and there's that line, two days past 18, he was waiting for the bus in his army green. She sings about a guy who was just past 18 years old and the young high school girl that loved him. Unfortunately, in American history and in all history, it's almost always been old politicians sending young men and women to fight and die. And although this is the first year in America in a long time, Without a single combat death, it's still a time for pain and mourning and reflection. Because Memorial Day is not a time for the veterans that lived. This is not about thanking me or about thanking your grandpa who's still around. But it's about the fighting men and women who died. Most of whom died at an age that was far too young. Like 21-year-old specialist Robert A. Wise of Tallahassee, Florida who was killed on November 12th, 2003 in Baghdad, Iraq, just outside the gate where I was with my platoon. Robert Wise was on a mounted patrol when an IED exploded and he was killed at just 21 years old. And it's about Army Command Sergeant Major Eric Cook, who was 43. At a young 43, he was one of the older guys in our unit. He grew up in Phoenix and was killed on Christmas Eve after his convoy vehicle struck a roadside bomb. It's about those guys and many, many others. Because Memorial Day is a time when most folks go to the beach or to a barbecue, and a few of us go to the cemetery. And for over a decade, when I was the CEO of Iraq and Afghanistan Veterans of America, that was my job. Memorials and cemeteries and Arlington and media talking about all of it. And I'm not gonna do that this year. This year, I'm going to take my little boys to their very first Yankee game. And I'm going to love the shit out of life for a day. But I'll also teach them about why we have the day off. And I'll go silent at 3 p.m. on Monday local time for just one minute. I'll go silent as a part of IAVA's Go Silent campaign. We do it every year. And I encourage you to do the same at 3 p.m. wherever you are. Or if you can't do it at 3 p.m. or you forget, just get a group of folks together or call a friend and go silent for one minute. Talk about anyone you lost or what this day means to you. Or if you don't know anyone, go look up the story of Specialist Robert Weiss or Sergeant Major Eric Cook. Or just pick a name at random from the Arlington Cemetery website or from your local cemetery. As Billy Joel said, only the good die young. I don't know about that. But I know too many good have died too young. And too many good are not in the fight now. And we need them. So encourage the young people in your life to get involved. In whatever way they're interested. And if you're a young person yourself, get involved. Whether it's fighting to save the planet, or fighting for veterans' benefit, or fighting to protect schools from their budget cuts, or fighting for legal weed, or fighting to get rid of daylight savings time, whatever it is, help get in the fight. Help them get in the fight. Send them this podcast, or another one you like. But we need them. The old folks have had their chance, and they've screwed up everything pretty damn royally. And we need the young people to step up now and get us back on track as a nation. The future will be written by young independents because independents are the future and 60% of young people are independents. We're not alone in our independence. Even on Memorial Day, America's more divided than ever before, but we at Independent Americans of Righteous Media are fighting to change that, to add light, to contrast, to heat. And if you're among that now 50% of Americans who are independent, this is your show. If you're a Republican or a Democrat, but you're not a diehard partisan, this is your show. If you're just a concerned American who cares about the future of your country, this is your show. All are welcome. We invite you to join us and be a part of this solution. Because our independent movement is the hope for the future. It's about country over party. It's about that feeling you feel around Memorial Day and carrying it over to every day. Because our movement is growing. And I hope you enjoyed this episode with Gideon Yego. If you did, please share it far and wide. And share it with two young people. Find two young people you can share it with. And invite them to declare their independence. And stay vigilant, my friend. Because eternal vigilance is the price of freedom. And it's a price that generations of American fighting men and women paid for with their lives. They gave all their tomorrows. So we could have our today and they often died in the hope of a better future and hope is the oxygen of democracy. So stay vigilant and know you're not alone in your vigilance. We're all vigilant and we're all in this together. And wishing you a happy Memorial Day never feels quite right. So I hope you have a good Memorial Day and a really good Memorial Day weekend. I'm your host Paul Rykoff. Thank you for listening. Down with Putin, Slava Ukraine, and stay vigilant, America. Powered Powered. by Righteous Media.